following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Psalm 1, speaking of one who um, is blessed, who walks with the Lord, who um, is one who um, represents what it means to pursue and delight in the Lord, um, to be one whose sole focus is to be changed and to have their whole being changed and to flourish as a result. Um, It stands in contrast to um, ones that are driven away and the wicked and the rebellious that turn their backs on God and his word, communion with him. And so I think this is helpful for us, even though we're not going to walk through this text, I think it maybe helps couch um, these coming minutes together as we consider again what our purpose is as Christians, but our purpose in light of who we have been made to be in Christ. Um, And so may this both be an encouragement because of our identity in Christ, also a challenge for us to continue on um, as we sum up a year and look towards a new one. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. God, we desire to be people, as we've already prayed this morning and as we've sung, to be people that are more and more conformed into the image of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that we find ourselves couched in a reality that has been brought about by you, that we would be united to Christ by faith and to his finished work, and that our existence now is defined by freedom from sin, I'm being made alive to you, having you delight in us because you delight in our Savior Jesus. Though we walk oftentimes as people that are forgetful, people that are formed by other things, We thank you, God, that we can commune with you and can run to you and seek you for help, for wisdom. And I pray that we would do that in this time. God, cause us to remember and not forget who we are and what you've called us to. Cause us to be singularly focused in our walk with you. Cause us to be formed by truth. And may you receive the glory for these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the other day I was taking Emily to school, uh, and on our way we were driving through a section of Linhaven Parkway that was a little backed up. There were some buses in front of us that were stopping, and traffic was backing up. And the 45 mile an hour was not—we were not doing 45 miles an hour. Uh, it's that Christmas season, maybe a little bit too, and so people are a little. Um, you know, in the spirit of the season, people are more easily frustrated, right? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, we were driving, and again, I'm hitting my brakes an awful lot um, as we made our way up Lynn Haven. And I happened to look in my rearview mirror, 
and this lady had come up behind us, and she was not happy with the situation. Uh, she several times lifted her arms off the steering wheel and just, Ugh! you know, she was just venting her frustration in the, in the car. Every time I had to hit my brakes because of the cars in front of me doing so, she would, uh, I think she was not telling me have a nice day, but she would say things and again, gesture, and she's trying to get into another lane so she can weave around. So I just kind of smirked. I thought this was kind of comical to watch this. And eventually she, she got um, in the lane next to me and was able to fly by us. And then she did the whole like, Talladega NASCAR thing up the road, weaving in and out, um, basically to just get off the road and turn right about the same time that Emily and I got to where she was too. Um, but what really made me chuckle was that after I watched her um, going through these fits uh, behind us, as she drove by us, I looked at her license plate, and her license plate said, I be fit, I be fit. Um, and sure enough, she made her way up and ended up turning off and going back to some like health, health fitness place, I guess. Um, it might not seem super funny to you, but it was funny to me because I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about um, what we were going to be talking about for a few minutes. And it struck me funny because, again, I don't know this person and judging by her plate and judging by where she turned off, she apparently is physically active. Apparently, she's maybe got, you know, muscles and probably has more tone and definition than I'll ever have. Um, and she's proud of that, maybe, in a way. And that's all well and good. But that physical fitness, it didn't help her very much in that moment. All right? So, like, whatever she was going to go do all day that day, it was great. But her fitness, her being fit, was not helping her be fit for her response to the traffic patterns that morning. She was not very fit for her response to um, the moment that she was in. And it struck me funny because I've been thinking about the fact that as disciples, we are called to be fit. We are indeed called to be fit as well. And the scripture uses illustrations even along the lines of physical fitness, which of course in our culture we can relate to, right? We're about physical fitness. We're about, in our culture, well-being. Maybe if we're not prone to being physically fit, we think of well-being and fitness in something else. Of course, we think of like um, mental health is a big thing right now, right? So we think about being fit mentally. We think about emotional health. We think about all these different aspects to what it means to be human, what it means to be live out our personhood. Um, but we tend to be myopic. We tend to just focus on maybe one or a couple of those and then oftentimes declare, I be fit. And yet, those one or two things where we might somewhat be fit in don't always help us in other areas. And in other areas, we oftentimes prove that we're very not much fit at all. Um, and yet, Scripture calls us to be fit. Uh, I think it's interesting um, that Paul in 1 Timothy 4 says these, words to Timothy, um, a young pastor uh, who has a lot that is on his plate, a lot set before him with the work that he is doing. And Paul admonishes him this way. If you put these things before the brothers, these things being several instructions and reminders of truth that he's given to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. An idea of being trained there. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So there's a call to 
um, the way in which we are formed. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So I have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. So Paul very purposefully uses imagery and even words that are tied to physical fitness to call Timothy to be careful about his fitness, but a fitness towards godliness, a fitness that is fitness in every way, a fitness that is complete and whole. Um, It is helpful and holds promise for now, the present life, and for the one to come. Indeed, discipleship is a growing up project. It's a time endeavor. It is something in which we work and we exercise and we grow and mature and we learn, we practice and we fail. But it is indeed a discipleship project of growing up into fitness. Ephesians 4.15, men and women in Christ grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus. There's purpose to this. Uh, Chris and I, longer ago than, um, yeah, a while ago now, pre-COVID, so it's been a while. Uh, We read a book uh, by Kevin Van Hooser called Hearers and Doers, and it's taking the imagery of James that we had um, worked through as a church in 2018. Um, And he uses the analogy of being uh, hearers and then doers and talks about discipleship. And one of the analogies that he uses, too, is this idea of being fit. He says this, I think this is really helpful for us. He says, disciples of Jesus are fit for purpose when they are able to act as heralds and representatives of the kingdom of God. Humans were originally created in the image of God to be his vice regents and representatives on earth, charged with cultivating creation. Similarly, disciples are recreated, regenerated, in the image of the one who is the image of God, namely Jesus Christ. To be fit for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, disciples have to be like their king. To be fit for the purpose of representing the kingdom of God means becoming Christ-like, which means being able to embody the new creation that is in Christ, who is seated in the heavenly realms on earth. Disciples are fit for their kingdom purpose, not when they can fight for its coming, but rather when they can witness with every fiber of their being to its arrival. So in light of this reality, as we think about what it is to be Christians, what it is to be disciples, what we are called to in this time, to witness to the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord and King, that I'd want to um, call us to maybe consider a few things that I think and hope guide us as we think of rules for life, as we think of resolutions, as we turn the page on another year, and as we walk in a time that is full of joys and full of strains and stresses and difficulties that I think help remind us of truths and things that we have to hold on to in order that we might be fit for purpose, in order that we might announce and display the kingdom of God. So a few minutes just to walk through some things, again, pastorally, um, in light of... um, (laughs) What God is doing in my own heart and in light of the things that I see 
my heart being and doing um, in, in veering off of the track. Um, and also in ways that I watch um, our world, I watch um, the church in America, the way I watch us even as cornerstones sometimes walk and plod through these things, seeking to be faithful. So I just have four things for a couple minutes that I want to bring to our attention, remind us of truth, um, have us walk through some scriptures, um, and then be awakened to these things again as we head into a new year. All right, so the first one, don't forget your identity and your calling. Don't forget your identity and your calling. This is just foundational in light of the fact that we are a both and people. We are people that have been made righteous in Christ. We have a new identity, and yet we walk still with natural flesh. We still walk in a world that's passing away, full of all the distortions of sin. And so it's easy to either think that we are a little impervious to the world around us and to um, our continued sinful hearts, or, um, and, and in so doing, we, we are just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. No worries, I can just kind of go unthinkingly into life um, and in so doing, not be wise and not realize how the world is impacting us. Um, and other times we can find um, so true the fact that we are formed by the world that we forget who we are, and we um, get kind of caught up in the mire of life and hurt and brokenness and sin, and we live as if we're still the old men and women that we were before Christ. And so it is right for us to remember our identity and calling. Now, there are all kinds of scriptures we could go to this to just glory in what God has done for us in Christ. Um, Ephesians 1 um, says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he walks through just a packed section of scripture reminding us of who we have been made to be. We stand holy and blameless before our Father now. He's predestined us for adoptions of son through Jesus Christ. Um, he has blessed us in the beloved. He has given us redemption through his blood. We have been forgiven of our trespasses. He has lavished his grace on us in all wisdom and insight. And this was his purpose to do, um, and it was set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. He is in the midst of uniting all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we have obtained an inheritance. And on and on he goes. I encourage you, if you need time in light of where you find yourself, as you, as you look at the end of, um, I think in so many ways for us as a culture and a people, the end of almost two years now of things that have driven um, a lot of weariness, um, it is right for us to couch ourselves in truth of our identity. Ephesians 1, spend some time there. Romans 5 through 8. 1 Peter 1 and 2, um, a, a setting again where, uh, the believers in that time were asking, what is going on? What is the struggle and the suffering and the persecution we're facing? This is not what we thought it should be like. And Peter encourages them to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, even as they understand they've been given new identity, and to look ahead to a future when all of those things will be made right, as Chris talked about last week, the significance of Christ's coming. So remember our identity, and to remember our callings, too. We're a forgetful people. Um, we are 
people that so often get focused on ourselves, our own immediate situations. We're people that forget our identity, forget to think about who we are. I mean, we see this in Scripture, right? Not just starting in the New Testament, but all the way through the Old Testament was God's working with his people Israel over and over again. They are called to remember what God has done. They are called to remember their salvation. They're called to do it in such a way that they're purposeful in remembering. Um, we can be people sometimes that look at Israel and we think, wow, you crossed the Red Sea. You had God before you in cloud and fire, and yet pretty soon you're complaining. You're grumbling and wishing you could go back to Egypt. What in the world? And yet... <laughs> We have the Spirit of God in us. We have so great a salvation in Christ. We have been brought through difficult times and his promises have shown to be true and he has been faithful. And yet how often do we grumble and complain and how often do we look to our past and think, man, to just live for ourselves, maybe that would be a little more exciting. Maybe that would bring more joy and satisfaction or pleasure. We are often the ones that uh, look very much like Israel, and yet we have been given these precious and great promises in Christ. So it's right for us to remember Moses and Joshua leading Israel, often called Israel, to remember and hold fast to the statutes that had been given to them, the law that had been set forth um, on them, that they should take care and keep their soul diligently, unless they forgot the things that their eyes had seen, the things that they had experienced. And so they are called to make them known to themselves, to their children, to their children's children. Think of Deuteronomy 4, 8, and 9 that I was just pulling from. Deuteronomy 6. Um, these are good things for us. We must not forget our identity and calling. Um, when I was, uh, I don't know, probably my son Jake's or maybe Emily's age, um, 10 or 11, uh, we had these twins across the street from our house that babysat us. And they were like, it was like the perfect uh, babysitting setup for a young boy. They're pretty. Um, they were cool. They drove their four-wheeler around across the street, and um, they would bring candy over to the house when they babysat us. Um, and they would give us a hug and kiss on the cheek goodnight when they tucked us into bed. So like, perfect, perfect setup for... <laughs> 10 or 11-year-old boy, right? Twins from across the street. So yeah, Kimberly and Tanya were, were pretty cool. Uh, one day, I was biking down the road. Um, I had, I'm sure I was headed to a friend's house to play street hockey or something, and so I'm focused on that. I have nothing to do but get to my friend's house so we can get a hockey game started. And I came around a bend and a rise to see one of the twins walking along the side of the road. I don't remember which it was. Um, but I came along, and I remember being like, oh, no, that, that, that stage in life where you're like, okay, now I'm sure she's only just going to be watching me and thinking about me until I'm out of sight again. And so, oh, no, am I going to do everything right? This is really embarrassing. And so I am headed around the little bend and the rise, and I see her, and I bike by her, and I turn around to see if she's watching me. Um, kids, can you imagine what happened? What do you think happened with my journey there? What was that? I crashed. Yeah, you could say that I did. Um, as many of you know, when you're riding a bike and you turn your head, your front wheel turns with you. 
a lot of times, right? And so pretty quickly, I found myself, I had been focused on what lay ahead of me, <laughs> and I had been tracking correctly down the road, but I very quickly found myself off the pavement, off the shoulder, and into our ditch, which the ditches um, on our road were more like canyons than ditches. And I went off the side into the ditch, literally out of the line of sight of said twin. Like, just, she couldn't see me anymore until my bike hit the bottom and I endoed and flipped upside down and flew up and splashed against the other side of the ditch, now back in her sight, but upside down um, and completely uh, out of breath, not by her, but because of the, because of the accident. Um, it happened in a flash, uh, and yes, all my preoccupation with, oh no, what's she going to think of me and my bike riding skills or whatever it might be, turned into a hugely embarrassing moment. Um, funny enough, in Luke 9, uh, Jesus is talking uh, and walking, um, uh, which is a, a great thing because it's an analogy of discipleship, walking along, teaching and talking to people and answering their questions about discipleship. And at the very end of Luke 9, um, another one said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, why would he say and use that analogy of putting your hand to the plow and then say somebody that puts their hand to the plow and then looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God? It's very similar to my bike story, is that when a farmer puts his hands to the plow in those days, it was all attention given to guiding the animals and the plow in front of them so that the furrows could be straight. If you're distracted and you're looking around and looking behind you, um, your furrows are going to show that you were distracted. Um, you're going to mess them up. They're going to go to one side or the other. You're not going to be able to pay attention to how the animals are guiding things. And so the analogy is, if somebody is half-hearted or distracted in who they've been made to be as a disciple to follow me, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. Um, I know it's an English translation, but I think it's interesting, too, that you have Jesus here saying that they are not fit for the kingdom of God. And so we find ourselves in a spot where we need to remember and we need to purposefully remember, we need to focus on and not forget our identity and calling as disciples in this world for this life. We must not be distracted. We must be fit and work at being made fit for being followers of God in his kingdom. Um, I put a bunch of these books out uh, on the resource table today, and I encourage you to pick one up. Maybe you like to read a book at the end of the year or when you're on a little bit of a break over Christmas. Um, but it's Brett McCracken's The Wisdom Pyramid. Um, and it's uh, basically practical ways of thinking through how we are formed. What types of things do we allow to come into our lives to form and change us? And calls us to consider maybe some pretty significant adjustments to our lives because we don't often know and realize how we are being formed and what is forming us. And so it is right for us to order that in the right way so that we might be further cultivated in Christ and fit for purpose. Um, in his opening pages, he talks about the fact that we are people in a culture 
Um, and I think we feel this maybe even in enhanced ways over the last couple of years, where people that, are, that have information gluttony, where people that have so much stuff coming at us at any given time, and we can go and we can find all kinds of information at any given time, that this, in so many ways, seems right. It seems like, whoa, the information age, this is great. This is so helpful. This is very purposeful and directs us to know better, right? And his argument is that it's not actually helping us be wise. It's actually causing us to be less wise. It's actually causing us to get dumber <laughs> in so many ways. It leads to anxiety and stress and disorientation, to fragmentation, and to decision and commitment paralysis, he says. And so it is important that in remembering who we are and who we've been made to be, that we are formed along those same lines. And that we do not allow other ways of formation to come in and distract us or cause us to veer um, off the road and into a ditch. Which kind of leads to uh, the next point, the next admonition is that we need to keep watch on our meditations. We need to keep watch on our meditations. Just as we hear scriptures call us to remember, purposefully so, cause us to not forget, but to set the works of God before us so that we see him and we remember and we walk by faith, we need to meditate on the right things. I don't know if you've taken the time to think through how you have grown or changed in the past year or two, but I'll tell you, you have. The question is not, have I grown or changed? It's how have I grown or changed? And how you have grown or changed is significantly wrapped up in what you choose to meditate on. What is the pattern of your heart? What sets you out um, on the journey of life discipleship? I think that our culture, um, this has always been the case in one sense, but I think in our cultural moment too, because of maybe the information gluttony, maybe because of the things that feel new or unprecedented in so many ways, we are driven to meditate and think about the things that are swirling around us that don't have uh, any ability to ground us in anything. And so we look for it and we search it and we find the articles that say what we want to believe. We find the people that, that please us in one sense or another. We find the patterns of life that we think will make us content. And all the while, all the information that's doing that for us isn't necessarily on God and his kingdom, but it is what the world is talking about in so many ways. And so it's not that these things are wrong in themselves, okay? Please hear me with this. It's not that um, in order to be a Christian, we turn our backs on media, and we turn our backs on seeking to understand uh, things. It's not that we're saying that in any way possible, but what takes up our time and energy? What takes up our thoughts and what forms our hearts? If we could go back and see our 2019 selves in so many respects as individuals or maybe even as a church, would we be surprised to see ourselves in any way and realize, whoa, I kind of forgot about that. I kind of forgot that that's how I thought or that's what I sought to see govern my life or that's how I interacted with the body of Christ. And we're quick to forget um, where God has had us. And we're quick so often to try to find peace by holding on to the swirling cacophony of information rather than holding on to what 
is true and lasting. Our culture teaches us in so many ways that if it's not new and if it's not quick and if it's not doing something to like cause all of the right chemicals to fire off in our brain at the right, at the right time, then it's not really wise, it's not really worthwhile. And yet, Scripture would tell us that what lasts, what is oftentimes slow, what is oftentimes tradition, are the things that ground us to truth, the things that ground us to ultimate reality, to God and his ways. If you just take Psalm 119, and I know it's a long psalm, but if you just take Psalm 119 and work through the times in which the psalmist talks about meditating, you would see six or seven times he says that he will meditate on God's precepts and fix his eyes on the ways of God. He says, even though princes sit plotting against him, he will meditate on God's statutes. He asked that God would make him understand the ways of his precepts and that he would meditate on the wondrous works of God. He says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Psalm 119 is a beautiful psalm where you see a person growing and being made fit for purpose. He's holding fast. He's thirsting for communion with God like Psalm 42 talks about a deer pursuing streams, pursuing fellowship with God. He is being made into a whole person in Psalm 119. And the central part of that is because he has purposed to set his mind on truth, on the works of God, on the way in which God has revealed himself in scriptures. He will not, he says in this one passage again, he will not be put to shame. He won't hold on to the things that the unwise and the insolent put up into his face. This is falsehood. Instead, he will meditate on truth. He will remember the wondrous works of God. So it's very important that we watch what it is we meditate on. If you find yourself being someone who um, is anxious or uneasy or is wanting to curate reality for yourself and say, like, I will find all the things and I will get it all flowing out here and I'll pack it together in this little package to then say, like, look, this, this is it. This is what I want and I'm going to try to cause my life to be wrapped up in this. If you find yourself looking elsewhere um, for hope, then I would challenge you, you need to change what you are meditating on. If rather we are meditating on the works of God, remembering our identity and our calling, watching God work in front of us, taking in his scripture so that we can chew on it and work on it, we will then be able to look out around us and rightly discern, better understand, and all the while do so um, with a confident rest and a confident hope rather than anxious toil and trouble. So it's right for us maybe to slow down. Again, one of the ways this strikes us maybe as Christians is we've got podcasts in front of us all the time, right? And so we can spend all week just like, oh, I love this person, I love this person, I want to listen to this sermon, I want to listen to this podcast, I want to take in here, take in there. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But what it can cause is that what happened and was said a week ago is now old, and something, the next big thing has to come up and we have to latch onto that, or this person is now at the forefront of this or that. I'm going to 
wrap myself around them. It's right for us to look at truth. It's right for us to appreciate all God's good gifts. But would we look at people in church history, would we look at the Puritans, the Reformers, people in the early church struggling through persecution and say, man, they just weren't able to produce. They just weren't able to um, provide the church with the things the church needed because they just didn't have what we have today. <laughs> no, I think they, we find ourselves centuries after these people still latching on to the richness of what God did in and through them. And it's not because they had libraries in front of them to pull from. It's not because they had podcasts to suck in all the time. It's because they slowed down. It's because they took a passage and they chewed it and meditated on it for long periods of time. So don't be afraid to think, hmm, uh, all I have time for this week is to meditate on Sunday's message or to have a discussion with my community group. Don't be afraid of that. Take what is there, take the content of what is there and tease it out, ruminate on it, work on it. It is full of richness and full of blessings. Meditate rather than running through things, even good things, even Christian things, even scripture things in a way that doesn't soak in to us, that doesn't form us. That's a scary part, right? We can give ourselves to things that are good and at the end of the day not be formed by them because we're taking them in in a worldly way rather than a discipleship way. Again, McCracken in his book here says that we often eat too much and too fast and we only eat what we like. This is what it is like living in an unwise age. As Christians who, again, witness to the kingdom of God, we must look different in an unwise age and offer something that is hopeful, not just a Christian twist on how the world thinks and eats, so to speak. So keep watch on your meditations. Thirdly, stick together. Stick together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says and urges us, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First Peter 3, Peter says, Finally, all of you, to this church that is saying, what's happening? How do we face persecution? He says, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. When we think of the idea of Christian community, again, there's a myriad of passages we can go to to walk that out. Just take these two passages and consider the importance that Paul and Peter place on the unity of the body. That we no longer walk in a manner in which we once walked, but we walk in a manner worthy of our calling that we would love and bless, for to this we are called. It looks like patience. It looks like humility. It looks like serving others rather than being self-serving. It looks like being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, this seems like another world ago now, but I remember early on um, in COVID when we were trying to figure so much out, um, Chris and I did a uh, some live streams, just trying to say like, well, we can't get together, we can't do these things, so let's just put out some live streams every once in a while and talk about a topic or just talk about what we're all sensing and feeling and trying to figure out right now. And I remember 
and this isn't just Chris and I realizing this. I think we were all realizing this as a church. We were seeing it in the broader culture in response to something that was new to us. As we recognized pretty quickly that if this was to carry on, there would be a real danger of disunity. There would be a danger of factions and a danger of each um, group having their own way of analyzing, their own way of walking through difficulty. And again, it's not that it isn't right for Christians to try to think and understand and have discernment and exercise their conscience in these things. It's not wrong in any way. But what is the dangerous part is that when we would find ourselves holding to factions or holding to things where we are doing so and we're more comfortable with people that agree with where we're at in certain things, that are unbelievers, then we are doing life with people that are believers, but not, might not have crossed their T's and dotted their I's in all the same ways. I think that we can say, safely say that we watch the world being impacted by that. Remember the days when tolerance was what was talked about? I don't think I've heard the word tolerance in the world for quite some time now. Remember those days? Remember when unity was talked about in churches? Remember when my own life, when I was finding myself at a stage thinking through these things, seminary days, and trying to figure out, like, in a sense, where, where is my place? What do I believe? And who are others that hold to those things? And because I had been couched in one tradition and one setting, I oftentimes looked at that and saw all the brokenness and sin in it. And then with this, like, rose-colored glasses looked out at other groups that were kind of popping up and networks that were popping up. And I was like, they seem to love Jesus. They, they seem to get things that a little group over here and a little tribe over here doesn't get, so I'm, I'm going that way. <laughs> now I look at that, and it doesn't take but 10, 15 minutes on Twitter or anywhere else to see that those people at that time that were exuding Christ, it's, it's a horrible mess in so many ways. There's so much disunity in the body of Christ. And it seems like it has been exacerbated the last couple of years. So do you find it easier to be formed again by the situations and things that are happening around us than you are by the word of God and truth? Do you find it easier to connect with people that might agree with you on what those things are out in the world and harder to actually connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ because your identity has actually become, I want to be known by how I do this thing over here, or how I navigate this aspect of life. Do you find it hard in community group settings to listen to somebody talk about decisions they're making as an individual or a family about something that you might do differently, and they ask for prayer, and you're like, I don't know if I can pray for that, because I certainly wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> if these things are tugging at our hearts, then we have lost direction. You might not be like me, like doing an endo on the bike and splattered upside down, upside down against the back of the ditch yet, but you need to pay attention to your heart. You need to maybe consider that you have gone um, astray or you have looked back a little bit. We're not saying that we need uniformity in the body of Christ, but we need unity that comes from being connected as brothers and sisters in Christ, the Spirit of God in us. That is our identity. There is nothing else, no other connections that we have, no other labels or titles that we have as Christians that supersede the fact that we are children of God and brothers and sisters of one another. <clears throat> and so if that is not the pinnacle in your thinking, 
then maybe you need to go back and meditate on some things and find yourself, again, loving brothers and sisters, being concerned for their well-being, and being able to be united even when in personal decisions um, and in personal discernment and times where they are really working and wrestling through something, that you can be united with them and what you want to see God do in them and for them in the same way you want them to have the same hopes and prayers for you. So stick together. <clears throat> and then fourthly, we need to stay focused on our goal. Stay focused on our goal. <clears throat> the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is like, what is the chief end of man? And it's that we glorify God and enjoy him forever. <clears throat> I find in so many ways that as we come to the end of 2021 and I look back on the last year or two, that it can seem in certain ways that it's like spring allergies. Like, I'm existing, I'm going, things are, things are good, but there's just like this fog. There's a, a little bit of a fog, and a Claritin's not going <laughs> to clear it up. Um, that there's this weariness. There's uh, forgetting in different ways of what we think was good in the past and where we wish we could have back. We're feeling um, the ramifications of not having the same type of embodied community as we once had, maybe. You're feeling the weariness of so much put in place to do life that you didn't think about before. You're feeling the weight of disunity, maybe in our church, maybe in the church in America, maybe in the world around us, and we're seeing so much intolerance and so much self-centeredness that we feel a little bit like we're walking around in a fog. But I would call us to the good word that that catechism gives us, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We should not lose the wonder of what it means to be made in the image of God. We should not lose the wonder of what it means to be redeemed and to have God working in such a way that he is reforming us and making us into the image of Christ. We should not lose the ability as humans to walk through this creation and see the majesty of God and to rejoice, to rejoice in his good gifts. We can walk so often um, with a, a sense of zombiness, just pushing through another day, just getting something else done, and there's no wondering at the beauties around us. These types of things should cause us to praise. They should cause us to glorify God. So do you find yourself going through your days and your weeks with whatever God has called you to as an individual, with whatever he has given to you as tasks and stewardships? Do you find yourself being able to do it, enjoying God and enjoying and delighting in his good gifts as he delights in you and his creation that he is working to renew? Maybe there needs to be um, a little bit of work, again, in the Spirit's power to take the fogginess, and just like those Claritin commercials where it's kind of like, gray and black and white and peel it back to see things in full color again. Not that it removes the hurt and the pain, not that it removes the weariness, but it puts things to rights, that we again are grounded in truth. We're disciples that have our hands to the plow, moving ahead, undistracted, unswayed by the valleys and the difficulties because we are confident in our God. Um, C.S. Lewis has famously said this in his um, reflections on the Psalms. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. 
It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. And then he says, as we've been talking about, the Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. This is not a call for us to be heavenly-minded in such a way that we're trying to get away from all the hurt and the pain and the realities of the world. It's causing us to see it in a totally different way. And we can, as disciples of Christ, our identity and calling means that everything has changed so that everything God is doing is for his glory and for our good. So we can see things in full color and as Paul caused us to, to rejoice even when things are difficult. Are we putting our hands to the plow in such a way now as we enter into a new year that we're doing it and we're focused ahead because we want nothing more than to be focused ahead? Everything around us, anything calling us to look back, it's pointless because it doesn't hold anything. It doesn't hold anything. What is ahead, what we are headed towards, what we um, are finding ourselves um, given to is one of full enjoyment. Can we say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You hear that psalmist? That psalmist is being formed and being made fit for purpose. He's being whole. He knows he will not be shaken. He knows his identity. The Lord is always before him. He's meditating on truth. And he knows that God is making known to him the path of life, one where there is fullness of joy because he is living in the presence of the Lord. We know that these things will be fully summed up and realized yet in the future, the return of our king, the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. But these are realities for us now as well. We can echo the psalmist's words and say these things are true of us now. So I simply call us to consider these things, maybe meditate on these things, take time to consider what you need to have the spirit work in your heart if any of these are true but not forget our identity and calling, to keep watch on our meditations, to stick together as the people of God. This is the plan of God. Let's not push against that. And to stay focused on our goal, to glorify God, to enjoy him and all things he has given us and all things that he is doing in and for us. In what ways maybe do we need to wake up um, and consider these things and to walk a newness of life in the coming year. I'll leave that to 
the Spirit's work in your heart, and then collectively for us as a church. I trust that this will be forming for us as a church, too, as we work that out, that as a church we would consider these same things, so that as a church we stand as a witness, a right witness to the realities and reign of our God and Savior. Let's pray. God, I offer these simple things to you and ask that whatever it is um, we might, might need to be thinking about and meditating on, um, that you would cause us to do that. Spirit, we thank you that you have been given to us, that you would dwell with us. Each individual here that is regenerate has been made new and freed from slavery. You call us each temples of God because your spirit is with us. And we know that as a church, you're forming us into a temple to be foretastes of the kingdom, to model Christ. And so may we be freed from the distractions and as a church in the new year, put our hands to the plow and plow wholeheartedly without distraction. May we do so standing firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ that we sung about. May we awake and arise in whatever ways you need to be forming us and making us fit for purpose, sanctifying us. May we do so remembering great salvation, remembering your work to sanctify us now, and holding fast to the hope that is without a doubt ours in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.